23 July 2018. In this episode, we're going to go over procps-ng. It's a fantastic package in the Slackware default install. It has about, I don't know, let's say 10 different applications that you probably don't even know exist. Uh, that's a bold statement. I should say some of which you may not know exist, or some of which you may not be familiar with. Some variation upon that. It, it's worth listening to. But first, before we get into that, I want to get into, I want to I resolve, I guess, the, um, the eight reasons that you should use the Guile list. So this was sent to me by IXN on Mastodon, but recently Klake, who you may know from Hacker Public Radio, has reviewed this list and given given feedback about it. So just really quickly, I'm going to read the feedback, uh, and and I'll I guess I'll I'll rehash the list really quickly as well. So. Uh, zero, imperative programming and anonymous functions. So Claque to that, to that says, anonymous functions is super frustrating not to have, so that's a big win. Ability to mix imperative and functional may be a win or a lose, depending on who you ask. And I have no idea what that means. Uh, number one, coming soon, guild package manager. Claque says, and, and this one I kind of called... I, I called out as well. I thought, mm, coming soon, maybe not. But uh, Klake says, Guild Hall, I don't know what that means, but I guess that's the full name of it, has been coming soon for years. Do you know something that I don't? But Geeks is great and is more or less the Guile package manager these days. And Geeks is something that I've heard of. I, I saw a talk uh, from a, a technical conference on it, uh, it, just on like on the internet. I wasn't at the conference, and I think it was in France or something. But it was really, really exciting. It sounds amazing. I really want to try it, and I just haven't gotten around to it, but I, it's one of those that I think may even be flexible enough, and I'm not sure about this, but I think I, I might be able to try it on some existing system. You know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily have to install Geeks itself, which, which is its own little distribution using the Linux Libre kernel, so that's a thing, but I think it's a separate, a separate thing. So I, I do, I want to give that a good, a good trial. Uh, and, and I was talking to IXN on Mastodon, uh, from Mastodon, and he was kind of pointing out, too, that kind of one of the problems with these really kind of cool I, I, niche or up and coming maybe is a better term package managers is is that they just they're kind of empty you know a package manager is only really ultimately as good as its repositories and so it, it's kind of frustrating if you if you get something and its repositories are either empty or or out of date and and by empty or out of date I mean in regards to the package that you personally need you know some people look at something and say oh my gosh eight thousand ten thousand twelve 13,000 packages, you have everything! And the minute they don't have, like, that subset of stuff that you want, then it becomes less useful to you. It's it's a problem. And it, it's a problem that kind of relates, I think, to my earlier, to, to my critique back in episode, I think, 28, maybe, where I, or 27, uh, where I was saying that open source is a big space now. It's, it's a huge space, and it's not realistic for us to expect a repository maintainer, and there are many repositories now. It's just not, I don't think it's realistic for us to expect a maintainer or a group of maintainers to be able to look at open source and say, okay, we will take all of that and put it into our repository, because it's just too huge. It's not like it used to be back when there was, you know, GIMP, uh, GNOME, and, and GCC, you know, and that was open source, right? I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating, obviously, or I'm, I'm, I'm using hyperbole, but but there used to be a smaller footprint of, of where open source lived and who was producing it and what it was, and now we have we have open source all over the internet. You can't keep track of it. So anyway, I digress. Number two, predictable syntax, and there's a big code block. Uh, Klake says, yeah, he likes the syntax. He's not sure that it's any more predictable than anything, anything else. So I've I've had a couple of comments on my ter on, on my terminology here. Predictable. What what does predictable mean? Well, it, it's only predictable in terms of what has the language taught you, and then what does the language continue to do. So again, my 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 main example here is something like Python, which which introduces a user to a concept. For instance, you can use English words in conditionals. So if foo is one, 
then do such and such. So now you know that, right? You can you can write conditionals like English. So then if you do something like if foo is less than one, then print something or, or do something and it fails. So it has taught you to try to think of programming in English sentences. And then when you do that, it scolds you for having done it. And that's a bad thing. So I don't think that, you know, I, I, I don't, when, when I say predictable, I don't mean, I guess what I mean is consistent. But but the, the, the reason that I care that it is consistent is because as a new user or, or as a forgetful user with my hand up in the air um, you can you can predict what it's going to be you don't have to go look it up you can just say well I know that equal you know dash EQ is equal so dash LT is going to be less than I just know that because it's consistent okay so that's what I meant so number three arrays dicts tables and arrays of arrays are out mostly pairs are in Clarke says these data types all have their uses luckily guile has them all except the very Lua idiomatic table which of course was in my original Lua list being a functional programming language though lists are very convenient to iterate over yeah very cool um, I mean lists and arrays and that sort of thing I mean they're just so so darned useful in programming and it's it's honestly not really something I really I don't think I really got how useful they are until this uh, recent Java class that I took for fun. And, well, for fun and personal development, I guess it was work paid for it. So I was I was taking it, and and I just I kept falling back on arrays without even thinking about it because the programming examples that they were having us do were do yeah uh, complete. They would start them and then we would have to complete them, and they were just so bad. And, and half the time they wanted because they hadn't taught arrays yet, and I just thought, well, just because they haven't taught us an array doesn't mean I'm not going to use an array because that's obviously what you should do here. It was a horribly designed course, but it did it did sort of hammer into me that that yeah, actually arrays and lists and that sort of thing. It's a great little convention. You just have one object, I guess, and and you can introspect that object. How's that for programmery talk? So you have this thing and you call it an array, and inside of that array you have a bunch of values. You have you have foo and bar and baz and everything else. And then when you want to call either foo or bar or baz, you just call the array, uh, you know, and then with whatever function grabs a value out of an array so I don't know if my array is called my array then maybe I, it's a dot get parentheses one close parentheses and then you have you, you get back from it bar what not foo no that would be zero okay so number um, four tabs are optional yep um, Clacke says that's a win for some I, I don't think that's a win for that's a win for all it, optional is is a win for all so I, I, I disagree with his his um, with his diplomacy uh, five C bindings so hooking up a game engine won't be too hard it's ridiculous uh, Clacke says that's uh, the potential game engine but there's actually an SDL OpenGL front end at dthompson.usprojects/chickadee.html that's interesting and the FFI supposedly is pretty good and that's it uh, then number six GUI frameworks and Clacke says Gnome made some games with Guile so I guess so not super knowledgeable I have the impression that GDK GNOME interfaces have been a bit uh, in flux. Haven't used them myself. Maybe they're great. Yeah, I have comments about that because Lua supposedly has GDK frameworks, cute frameworks, and I, I gotta say, it's yeah, they're having the framework and 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 having a release once upon a time does not mean that it's something that you want to rely on, and there there is a difference there. And then number seven, used by the Geeks package manager, which of course has already been covered because um, the package manager coming soon is is actually sort of already in existence in the form of geeks so there you go that's the feedback about that let's have a cup of coffee and then let's look at proc ps ng <laughs> coffee. You have your coffee. So let's look at procps-ng. The homepage of procps-ng is sourceforge.net slash projects slash procps-ng. It is the uh, the package that provides the classic set of utilities used to display information about the processes currently running on the machine. So the, the most famous one, I feel, of 
of this group is PS. Although so is like Free. Free is pretty famous. I think a lot of people know Free. And Kill All. A lot of people know Kill All. So there's, I guess there's a couple of famous ones. Uh, Top. I didn't realize that. Uptime. Yeah, there's there's actually a bunch that you'll probably be somewhat familiar with. And, and some that you, you really might not know much about. So I'm just going to start from the top of the list uh, as I do an LS, uh, I mean a less on var log packages slash proc ps dash ng. Uh, and the first one on here has been free. So if I do a man free, it says it displays the amount of free and used memory in the system. This is famously misleading. A lot of people look at this and don't really understand what they're looking at. And I'll admit, I barely know myself, but a friend of mine, uh, the last known god, pointed out one time that most people were misreading free, the output of free. So uh, a very common variation, I guess, of free would be uh, free either dash m for show me everything in megabytes, or free dash h show me things in in human readable so you know whatever the nearest logical unit size would be so the the point of confusion so if i i'll just type in free dash dash human and there are five six columns total used free well seven uh, total used free shared buffered cache cached and available and people would look at this and i forget what the problem was i mean i have literally available 21 gigabytes uh free 18 gigs buffered 3.5 gigs used 1.8 gig so I've, I've got a total of 24 gigs of ram in this machine so i don't tend to really um sort of look at the details here very often on my work on my workstation on my laptop it's a little bit different because i only have four four gigs or two or whatever i've got so i I tend to monitor my RAM use a little bit more because I'm always paranoid that I'm using too much somehow. And I think a lot of people were historically, and, and no one really understood exactly what they were what they were seeing. And, and in reality, what, what's what what Linux does, and and what Free reports is that you might see that that there's more RAM than you would expect being used. But what's actually happening is that the OS itself caches stuff in order for it to access things quicker, which is what RAM is best at, right? So the OS, essentially, you could think of it as, as needlessly, it's, it's needlessly using your RAM, and you get really concerned about this. You can read more about this at linux8myram.com. It's a, it's a good little explanation of, of what is happening here. But, but essentially, what it's doing is it's, that the OS is, is grabbing stuff that it can put into RAM and putting it into RAM so that you, you can run faster now. You are running off of RAM for some things. Now, now that's not necessary. The, the OS doesn't, it, the, the RAM isn't being used up in such a way that it cannot, that it's literally like unavailable. It's still actually available because when something more important comes along that needs RAM, the OS will just swap that out and no longer, you know, it, it's, it's, it's be, it was being used and now it's, it's being used for something more important. So you might see, for instance, your free command reporting what you might think is wild overuse of RAM, but what's really happening is that your OS is using the RAM that's obviously available because that's what you would want a computer to do. You would want it to run faster. You, you, you don't want unused RAM, really. you like, your goal should never be to have eight gigs of RAM f unused. Like, what What's it there for then? You spent like a hundred bucks on that stuff. Why? Why do you have it in your computer? So you want it to be used. Uh, so don't be angry when Linux uses it. In other words. So yeah, that's that's free. That's that's what it does. Kill all. That's that's an easy one. Kill all is a it's a regex enabled kill resolver so if you want to stop an application or a set of applications and maybe you don't know the process id of that application i mean traditionally in linux you would you would issue a kill command against the process that is running uh, and we'll talk about how you would find that information out but but maybe there are too many processes and you just want to kill all of them or maybe you haven't bothered getting the the process ID. Well, you can do that by name with kill all. So you could just say kill all, I don't know, GIMP. And then any instances of GIMP running on your machine would cease running. 
that's what kill all does. It's a it's a handy command to have uh, dash capital I or dash dash ignore dash case ignores case. That's pretty handy. Uh, dash dash exact requires an exact name uh, exact match for very long names longer than 15 characters. Um, dash dash list list all known signal names. Uh, that's an interesting one because the kill command is I hate this about the kill command. But the kill command isn't necessarily a kill command. You can use kill to talk to processes, to do other things other than kill. It's it's um it's really annoying. It's it's one of those things where to me, you know, any any process that for instance uses or any ap- application that uses the backspace as a go back function. Have you ever seen one of those applications like to to go back a page, hit delete or hit backspace. That's it's so bad. It's it's no, but the backspace is a delete button. It makes things go away. Why are we telling people to use it for something other than that? When when the alternative is you've just deleted something. I hate that sort of thing. And this is the same thing. Kill is actually a command that just talks to processes. I don't know why on earth they would use the term kill to just send a command to a, a process. And you can you can do kill all dash L for a list of all the different signals that you can repurpose kill to send. So I have seen applications where, you know, if it's running, you can send a kill, I don't know, sig, sig foo to, um, to reset its timer or to, to create a, a, a bookmark in, in metadata to, 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 to mark a certain event. And, and it's, 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 I think it's really stupid that people that, that that command does that, but there you go. That's what it does. I can't I can't help it. It's just what it does. So that's what kill all does. Primarily, it kills things, but you can also talk to other processes. You can you can send signals to something for for added you know in process functionality. I mean that is cool. We want that process. I like that, but I don't believe that it makes sense for it to be called kill. So the next big one is PS. I feel like this one gets thrown around a lot in those introductory Linux courses. Your introduction to a terminal. Type in PS, AUX. Why? Nobody knows. No what? No one knows what AUX stands for. In fact, frankly, um, hopefully, I, I just know someone from procps-ng is listening. Frankly, I don't think PS, the command, knows what AUX means. And and that, and that I don't think it's procps-ng's fault. It's, it's historical cruft that we kind of have to get around. And we're trying to resolve that, and we have lots and lots of different things that AUX actually means. I'm not going to go into it. You can look at the man page for PS, as long as it's the PS that ships with proc PS-ng, you'll see the the historical stuff about what the POSIX and the UNIX standards need, and what BSD has traditionally done, and what GNU has, has done, and, and it's just kind of, it's, it's, it's getting normalized, but it's very confusing right now. So, luckily, the man page of PS has a right there at the top a bunch of examples it's really nice and it's maybe a possibly a model that i think i might start following to be honest because it it does seem awfully sane to have your cheat sheet for ps right there right at the top of the manual it doesn't make sense necessarily because it's like but you haven't even read the thing yet you're just you're just copying and pasting commands you know what it actually it that's what i that's why i'm here okay anyway enough praising their man page um the the I guess the typical use case for it is to see every I guess I don't know if this is the typical use case to be honest but but there is a use case by which you could say ps-e and that shows you literally like if I do ps-e pipe it to less you'll see literally every process one two three five seven like this is every process running on my machine at the moment that I you know when I hit return or enter whatever that key is called okay so similar to to that is well, what if I just want to see the ones that I'm running the, that I personally started well you can do that it's a little bit a little bit complex a little bit um, not a pretty command so ps capital U clatu that's my username dash u so a lowercase u clatu and then strangely space u now you don't actually need all of those u's you could just do like a ps capital u clatu 
and you do get like the processes you, you'll you'll see a list of processes the problem with that i guess is that you don't get a bunch of extra information about each process so if you do the trailing lowercase u so if, even if you just do ps dash capital u clatu space u then you get a bunch of extra information at the end and that's kind of from what i understand that is leveraging the BSD option for uh, just just U, no no dash U, just just the bare U. That adjusts the format of the display, and it it, it causes it to display a user-oriented format, meaning that the output that you get has stuff that means something to you. For instance, it it, it gives you all the information about all those processes, but it also tells you, for instance, what exactly was the command that started this process? Where did that? How did that happen? And you. Can kind of get a feel for okay so this this thing is located in user lib exec gfs dash u disks to dash volume monitor okay so yeah it's got my name on it but it's not something that i consciously started that's just something that some other action that i did used you know needed something out of lib exec and has executed that thing so there there's a lot that i could talk about with ps there are a lot of different formats that you can use to get information out of the system i i, I kind of get the feeling that realistically Personally, I guess, as I, I, I kind of default to top and htop and another command that I'll get to once we get to it in this list. But but PS, I, I, I could see it being one of those things where you need to monitor your system and maybe you're using like awk to, to parse different columns. And so you get like this big PS output, you run it through awk and, and then you report on the stuff that you actually care about. I can just kind of see because otherwise it's just a lot of information to sift through and, and it's pretty it's pretty granular, and I'm not sure, I guess, just how much of that would be useful on a everyday basis, but I don't know. Maybe it just depends on your use case, really. It depends on what you do, probably. Okay, so next up is in sbin. That's an exclusive kind of command. It's called pidof. Find the process ID of a running program. Okay, well, let's try it. Pid of bash. Yep, 5720, 3013, 1429. Cool. Pid of, what, am, what else am I running? Oh, audacity. Oh, I did bid of. Um, pid of Audacity, 5478. So hey, remember how I said I'll tell you in a minute how you can find the process ID of a of a command of a yeah of a process. That's this this is that's a pretty good way. Um, pid of it's not the only way. There's one more that I use a lot for this as well. But pid of is is quite useful. You can you can constrain what it returns to you with a dash s for a single shot. So this just returns the program or uh, returns one pid of a program. So in the case of bash where there were three instances of it. If I do dash s bash, it just shows me 5720, so the latest one. Uh, dash c returns only only the IDs that are running within the same root directory. This option is ignored for non-root users, so I'm not root right now, so that wouldn't matter. Dash x uh, scripts to. This causes the program to also return process IDs of shells running the named scripts. So if you are looking for the ID of a, of a, a script that is being run, then it, it also tells you where the shell that, that's running that process is running. Uh, that's pretty much it, I guess. There's um, there's an omit PID option, which I've never used, so I'm not going to really go into, because I don't know how to use it. Okay, so that's PID of, and that is in probably, well, on Slackware it's in your SBIN. Uh, it might be somewhere else on your system, I, I guess. And then there's another command called sysctl. I used to use this a lot more than I than I, than I I have lately. Um, I did a Hacker Public Radio episode on it once, which barely touched on sysctl. But syscontrol, sysctl, it's a, it, it, according to its man page, configure kernel parameters at runtime. It's used to modify kernel parameters at runtime. The parameters available are those listed under proc sys. So proc fs is required for syscontrol support in Linux. You can use syscontrol to both read and write syscontrol data. So syscontrol is, um, it, well, I mean, as you've just heard, it modifies stuff during runtime, which you, you may or may not really have that much reason to to modify things, but but you might, and and things that you you can. I'm gonna become root for this. I think I have to be. So sysctl. Uh, let's do dash a. Probably pipe that to a less. So if you look at the, the output of syscontrol dash a, that that stands for all. I'm assuming. Let's look at it really quick. Man, syscontrol dash a. Yeah, all. So dash dash all is just as good. So sysctl dash dash all, pipe to less. You, you get all kinds of interesting 
little values. Dev.cdrom.debug is zero right now. Um, I'll skip all those things. Let's do uh, dev.mac underscore hid dot mouse underscore button two underscore key code equals 97. So guess what my, um, the, the mouse button two key code is? Oh, it's 97. Button three, 100. Button, uh, mouse button emulation is zero. That's because I actually have a mouse. So yeah, there's all kinds of information. fs.nfs. You name it. <laughs> Lots of configurable things for that. fs.quota, um, fs.xfs, kernel parameters, or yeah, I guess kernel, kernel parameters. These are all kernel parameters, but there's a bunch of ones called kernel. Uh, let's keep going down. net.core, net.ipv4. Yeah, there's just, there's a bunch of things. I don't even remember what I used to use this for. I'm, I'm trying to actually, I was hoping something would jog my memory. I really don't remember what I used to use this for. But I do remember using it. Um, enough to do a Hacker Public Radio on, on it, at least. But, but even then, I didn't really use it. I just used it because that was what I was told to use. So yeah, there's um w- once you see all the the all the potential values with the dash dash a, then you can, for instance, change them. You can you can disable things or you can turn things on if they're booleans. You know zero one. You can you can set them to be something different, as you saw with the uh, the mouse uh, key code emulation setting, all that sort of stuff. So this just basically it it's sort of you can kind of think of it as just kind of hacking into your own system systems running, uh, let's call it a database, and, and swapping values around. Whether or not you want to do that is, you know, whether or not that's a good idea just kind of depends on what you're doing and, and why you think you need to do that. But it's, it is something that, um, that is available to you. Now, you can find syscontrol values being used in, in a couple of different places, and one of those, one of the locations that they, they get invoked is in slash etsy slash syscontrol.d slash, and then maybe there's a, con- a configuration file there. So for instance, in my, in my uh, syscontrol.d directory right now, I have got, oops, uh, I've got two files. i got 60-libvertd.conf and 97-kde-balu-filewatch-inotify. So um, I'm just going to cat both of those files. They're both quite small. It looks like the libvertd is a file that uh, sets some file system options, some file system sizes when libvertd is running for virtual virtual um, hosts. And then uh, the the other one, the file watch I notify for KDE has something to do with the number of uh, the number of I notify max user watches that can be spawned. So something that I could probably lower, to be honest, it's an absurd an absurd number, but I'm not going to because I don't know what it really does or why it needs that value. But there you go. That's that's syscontrol. It's it's good to know about even if it's not something that you're likely to use on a daily basis unless you're doing specialized things. All right, f user. This is a cool one. So this it's fuser, I guess, but I, I, I'm assuming it's fuser. It, it identifies processes using files or sockets. So fi- uh, fuser returns, uh, let's see if I can get to the chase here, uh, returns a non-zero re- return code if none of the specified files is accessed. Uh, that's boring. Okay, so let's let's do this. Let's do an fuser uh, slash var slash log slash packages slash proc ps-ng. I know that's open right now because I have it sitting in less in one of my uh, terminals. So I, I do that and then it looks for the process associated with that file. And indeed there is a, fi- a process called 5783. Now I could do, um, how could I get 5783? I could do a ps5783 and it tells me 5783 is running on TTY PTS1 and the command associated with that is less. Uh, specifically, it's less slash var slash log slash packages slash proc ps blah blah blah. So there you go. That's that's the whole that's the whole cycle we just learned. F user to find the PID of the thing using that file or the socket, uh, and then ps with the PID shows you what that was. Pretty cool, huh? So um, yeah, that's a that's a nice little that's a tidy little package right there. I wish I could just end the episode with that because that's full circle classic kind of story development, but can't can't do it. So um, list dev is uh, the next one and hey I'll admit it I've never used listdev and uh, apparently I mean when I typed in man listdev it's a command from 1998 May 31st it lists information about your computer's installed hardware from the interrupts IO ports and DMA files in the proc directory thus giving you a quick overview of which hardware uses what IO addresses and what IRQ and DMA 
channels. So if I just type in list dev, L-S-D-E-V, I get output that to me looks like, um, I, I, like I think, I, I feel like this output to me right now looks like what the terminal looked like to me back in 2005. You know, it's just completely incomprehensible. I mean, if I look at it a little bit closer, I see some things that kind of vaguely say something to me. For instance, ETH0 is on, tw is on IRQ28. Well, I know what ETH0 is, at least. Uh, ATH9K, that's my wireless card, it's on 37. So none of this really, you know, I don't feel like this applies to me. And then there's there are different port designations and things like that. So there you go. It exists. That's all I have to say about it. Peak FD. This is a fun one. I've used this one not for anything, not not for probably what anyone ever thought it should be used for. But uh, so let me do a pit of audacity again. I don't remember what that was. It's 5478. And then I'm going to do a peak FD 5478. And my screen fills up almost instantly. I'm going to stop it uh, with with output from from what well, I don't, actually I don't even know what. Um, it is peak FD peak at file descriptors of running processes. So I can do to for a, a, a smaller display. I could do peak FD. What was it? Fifty three. I don't remember now. Um, PID of no. What was it? Um, oh, I'm trying to find less. Fifty seven eighty three. So I'm gonna do uh, peak FD fifty seven eighty three. So that's my less program. So nothing happens. I, I type it in and I get a blank line. But now if I switch my tab over to my less program and I hit the down arrow once, so I've just I've incremented the line. Now I come back to my peak FD and it tells me uh, reading FD three one B reading FD one one B K one B K S O eight O eight O eight S reading FD three zero and so on. So it's it's giving me some information about what that process is. Is, is doing. Um, I don't know enough about what it's actually looking at, what it's actually looking at to um, to provide this information or what this information actually means. The reason I used it was because I was doing a multimedia thing, like a physical sort of setup for a, a, a fair, like a maker type fair. And I was coordinating with a person who was going to be doing sort of uh, video graphic stuff to some music that people were going to be playing on my Slacker Media workstation. And we wanted to kind of coordinate so that when someone wandered by and started playing around on the keyboard that I had set up, because it was basically, it was just an open station. I was like, I, I was there to help, but I, I wanted people to be, to just mess around with synthesizers and sounds and stuff like that. So I would... I would show them a couple of tricks, and then they, I would just let them play. And the DJ was going to then take whatever sounds they were producing and try to do visuals to match, just to kind of mix things up. But we couldn't really figure out how to get those two to talk to each other. Or was that what? It, well, I don't remember what the problem was. But the point was that that we wanted to we wanted to enter. You know, we wanted there to be some kind of substance to, to, to that, that some randomness really that that the that her DJ stuff could use to to generate weird visuals you know it's kind of all retro and ugly and silly so one of the ways that I figured I could get a bunch of just random stuff happening was peak FD just get a bunch of output from peak F, uh, peak FD and send it over to the DJ thing it, it it took that in as just raw data and used that as kind of a seed for the visuals that, that she was producing so that was kind of kind of neat. and that's peak FD and that's that's as much as I know about it um, okay so P grep this is the one I use all the time it's it's a lot like PID of, but it's it's fuzzier. So it's it's grep for a PID. So if you know that you want the PID of odd, what was the name of that program? Asterisk. Well, there you go. You get PGREP odd 1479, 1490, 1707, 1822, 1838. So it's, I mean, you're being fuzzy, and, and that's what you get back. So maybe you remember that it was Audacit. I couldn't remember what it ends with. Oh, 5478, that's probably what it is. PS 5478. Yeah, that's user bin Audacity. Yeah, that's the one I was looking for. So PGREP is a fuzzy PID of. Okay, PKILL. Uh, PKILL is a, uh, it's a look up the signal processes based on the name and other attributes. So it is to PGREP, or, or to kill, I guess, what uh, PGREP is to PID of. So I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to do PKILL because I, I don't want to kill anything right now, uh, but there you go. That's that's what it does. And, and like kill and kill all, you can you can actually change the you know change what signal what signal it it sends. It doesn't have to be the sig. What is it? Sig hub or sig whatever. It can be sig user one USR one or sig whatever. 
Okay, so that's pkill pmap. I've never used pmap, never heard of it. Don't know what it does. Report memory map of a process. Whoa, that sounds pretty crazy. Let's do pmap, um, pmap, what was it, 5387? Nope, 5783? Yeah. Uh, there you go. You get a memory map of everything that less, in this case, is using. That's pretty cool. I, I don't believe I would ever use it, but yeah, that's pretty neat. You should check that out sometime. PS map, uh, pmap. It, it shows you all kinds of information, like what libraries are in use by that application. Yeah, this is cool. I'm gonna have to, to mess around with this one. But again, you have to get the process first. It, it, there's, it's not like p grep or p kill. You have to know the process ID, uh, unless there's a switch in there to make it name name friendly. Okay. So the next up is proc info. Proc info is the it gathers system data from proc directory again and prints it nicely formatted onto the standard um, on your standard output. So if you just type in proc info, you get all kinds of of sort of, I would say it was a little bit top-like or h-top-like. You, you get, you know, your memory, your total used, free buffers. Well, I guess that's more like free. But you get, like, the user uptime, uh, nice settings, the system, IO weight, HWIRQ, SWIRQ, idle uptime, um, and then a list of IRQs and what what's being what's being used right now. So this is, th yeah, this is actually a, a quite quite a nice little readout um, of a it even lists the the disk disk activity like sdb sdc sdd sda sde yeah so it's got a lot of information there and um there's probably ways to filter this down into stuff that you know you actually care about but i i've never i've never messed around with proc info i i knew it it, it, it existed but i've i've never i don't remember ever using it next up is prt stat i don't know what that stands for let's let's look at the man page really quick prt stat is print statistics of a process uh, i have about as much interest in statistics as I do with in, in cricket, so that's not a whole lot. So PRT stat, uh, let's do 5783 again, shows me, as it says, statistics of a process, this process being that old less command. It is kind of nice, it shows me, okay, that's the process, uh, the, the process is called less, stat is S, it's sleeping right now, CPU number is 5, all kinds of information like that. It's, it's kind of interesting, actually, more interesting than I'd anticipated. And and yeah, as you can tell, it's something that I've never ever used. PS tree is um, it, I mean, it's like it's like PS with in a tree structure. It it's quite nice um, because that's one of my I guess not complaints, but that is something that I have observed about PS is that in its raw state, when you just do the PS dash U clatu U, you do get a certain degree of of useful information. It's just it's just there by by like by process number, not necessarily by any kind of logical well I mean that is logical but it's not it's not how we might think of a process for instance well if you do a PS tree you get that same you'd probably want to pipe it to less to be fair you get all that same information but you get the the parent and child structure of certain processes and that that's pretty I guess useful I mean maybe I guess it depends but certainly if you I, I guess let's say you were having problems with Balu, B-A-L-O-O that's the KDE file indexer. And that's it's one of those that you never start intentionally. You don't start Baloo yourself. It's just kind of running. It's who knows what owns what owns that sub process. Like where does it where does it live? Um, you can find you know do PS tree and you can see oh okay so it's part of the Akinati control process and there's another related one called Balu file which is a queue process manager. So you get a little bit more information about where a certain process originated and why it is running at all. So that can be useful, especially if you're if you're investigating something that you're not really sure. Like why is this process? Even 80% of my CPU cycles right now. What what started this thing? PS tree can help. PWDX report current working directory of a process. So once again, let's do 5783 PWX, and it tells me that uh, the current working directory for that is slash home slash clatu. That's because when I started the less uh, command in in that terminal, uh, I my my prompt I was sitting in slash home slash clatu. So uh, you can do that with any process, and it will tell you sort of where that let's let's do um let's do the pwx audacity to see oh that's not 
how you find the pit of again. Uh, 5478. So let's do PWDX5478. And it tells me that, yeah, that one's slash home slash clat2 as well. So there you go. Um, not very interesting, but you get the idea. Like if, if there was something happening, you wanted to know where 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 that prompt, where, where that terminal was living when you when you started that process, PWDX would be the, the way to do that. Okay, so then there's a skill and nice, and that is send a signal or report a process status. Uh, these tools are obsolete and unportable. The command syntax is poorly defined. Consider using the kill all, pkill, and pgrep commands instead. I feel like that's probably enough uh, said. Then there is um, slab top. Nope, I've never used this one. So slab top has, oh, I misspelled it first of all. Slab top uh, says it displays kernel slab cache information in real time. That sounds fun, I'm gonna admit, uh, but... Apparently you have to be root, at least on this system, to run it. And there you go, yeah. So it's it's like a top command, except for kernel uh, kernel processes. Wow, that's really cool. I'm probably going to sit and stare at that for a while, but no, I had never heard of that one before. So then there's S-Nice, which again, that's not, uh, it's, it's obsolete and unportable, so we're not even going to give it the time of day. Uh, sock list. That's a command to look at currently open sockets on your Linux system. That's what it does. So there, there are no options. You just type in sock list and you get a, a, a list in a very friendly manner of all the sockets that are open. Uh, so for instance, maybe you're troubleshooting SSH. Can't get into a box because it keeps telling you SSH, uh, you're being refused. You're not sure why. So you um, go to the system that you're trying to log into and you do a sock list. Uh, well, of course, if you're ssh maybe you can't get to that system. But I'm, I'm assuming, in my imagination, you are just sitting right next to the computer that you're trying to SSH into. You know, you're trying to establish that initial connection to do your SSH keys or whatever. So if you log into it manually, do a sock list, maybe you'll find that, oh, the SSHD port isn't on 22. It's been moved to something else. Or, or oh, SSHD doesn't even, isn't even listed here, so it must not even be not, not active. Uh, or just to see what, what's going on in your computer, because sometimes it's good to be aware. For instance, I'm running a Nextcloud client on my desktop. Was I aware that it had 51170 occupied and using? Maybe, maybe not. Now I'm aware for sure. Uh, and it also tells you, like, you know, the PID of of those sockets and the UID of the the, the owner of, of that socket. I guess that's the owner. Would that be the owner or... I, I think that would be the owner. I think that's a, the, the correct phrase. But anyway, that sock list is pretty simple. Um, literally no options. It is just not something that, that is available. Next up, we're getting close to the end here, is T-load. T as in Tango. It's a graphic representation of system load average. Okay, I, I, I never thought of it as a graphical representation, but there you go. So if you type in tload, it takes over your terminal, and it uh, gives you a little bar graph of, I guess it's a bar graph, of the system load over a course of time. So if you've ever used one of those plasmoids on KDE or on any desktop, you know, to show activity of your system, this is that, except in ASCII. It's pretty neat, and it's one of those things that if you've ever sat down and, and thought, oh man, I need, I'm doing a video shoot or something, and I, I need something tech-looking to, to be on screen that, that has motion, you know? It doesn't have to do anything, I just need movement back there. T-load's a great one. Okay, man, uh, man top. Uh, top. You probably know top already. I, I don't actually use top all that much because I am, I kind of became a fan of htop and never looked back. But top is the classic view of whatever is taking the most, oh, in fact, I even, this is how much I love htop. I just typed in top and guess what it's aliased to? Yeah, htop. So, uh, but top is that classic kind of overview of all the different processes on your system. I used to use it all the time. Um, just in case you didn't know this, I guess this is an extra tip. If you do a backslash and then top, or, or you know, whatever. So if you've aliased something intentionally, or you know, unintentionally or intentionally, that collides with another command. If you do a backslash and then that command, it, it ignores the alias. So I, I have top aliased to htop, so to see the actual top, I do backslash top return, and that, that skips over the alias and shows me the actual output. I have to do that all the time. 
because I alias things like crazy. I mean, probably not as bad as other people, but, but I don't know. I, I feel like I'm a pretty heavy user of, of alias. So yeah, there we go. There's, um, oh, guess what's right up there at the top? 5478. You know what that is. It's Audacity. Um, yeah, so that's that's top, and it shows you, you know, the CPU usage and how many things are running and how many zombies you have. Zero, hopefully, and so on. Yeah, like I say, I don't use it. It's just so so basic. I'm really more of an H-top kind of guy. Um, okay, so uptime. Man, uptime says that it is. Tells you how long the system has been running. That's pretty much what it does. It's, um, it's, it's useful. Uh, I used to use it all the time, but mostly as a vanity thing. Just like, oh, how long have I not rebooted for? And I think a lot of people on, in Linux, I think that's often what our, what our use case is. But there is a very real, uh, use case for it in server ad administration. Sometimes you need to find out, wait a minute, why did this server get reset? You know, like, w when did when, when did this happen? This shouldn't have happened. I didn't do this. Uh, so you look at uptime and you can kind of count backwards and see when when some when something happened that maybe should not have happened or, or that surprised you or whatever. Uh, you can, there, there are a couple of options here that I've used. So the, the one that I use, like, all the time is uptime-p for pretty dash dash pretty. Uh, so uptime dash dash pretty is, it shows you a human readable output. So it says up three hours, 57 minutes. That's how long this workstation's been on today. And uptime dash dash since, that's S-I-N-C-E or just dash S. And that is the system has been up since. And so I could say uh, 2018 dash, oops, oh well. So you, yeah, you can, you can type in a date and it'll tell you, oh, since that date, it's been up this long. Okay, next is VM stat. I'm not exactly clear on why they call it VM stat. I mean, it's, it's okay, so officially it's report virtual memory statistics. I, I don't understand exactly what they mean by virtual memory statistics because VM stat reports information about processes, memory, paging, block IO, traps, disks, and CPU activity. I don't exactly know, uh, and it d does this, by the way, in averages since last reboot. Uh, and you can you can give it an argument for how frequently you want your updates. So VM stat space six. Let's do that. So every six seconds, it will report on what my system is using in terms of memory, the the buffer, the cached. Uh, space uh, in the memory and so on. So it, it gives you quite a lot of information about your, like I said, your memory, your swap, your I/O, your system, and your CPU all in one line. So it's um, it's it's like free. It's kind of like proc info. It, it's like those commands all in one line. So I'm sure it's very useful. I've literally never used it. The penultimate in the package is the W command, one of my favorites because it is one character. I love one character commands. W is a lot like who, if you've ever used who. Who is part of the GNU core utils. W is obviously part of proc ps-ng. They're, they're similar but different. So W shows what users are logged in, uh, when they logged in, what terminal they're logged in on, and uh, what what command they're, they're actively running. Like really, that's that's it, it shows you that. For instance, here's Klaatu running less on PTS uh, slash 1, here's another Klaatu on PTS slash 3 running W, and so on. And, and yeah, so that's that's kind of interesting. Um, it's a useful command, I've used it, and if it's not available, then I default to who, but sometimes if I've if I've logged onto a server and there's some process that has crashed or, or is hanging for some reason and I need to get in, I, I'll just log in again, I'll run who to find out where I am in, you know, on my original logon, login, what, what command is being run, and, and then maybe I can kill that command, or I can kick the user off, or whatever. So it's it's kind of useful um, if, if, if you need it, I guess. And then finally, there is the watch command. Watch executes a program periodically showing output full screen. Ro uh, watch runs some command, whatever command that you give it, repeatedly, displaying its output and errors, the first screen full. This allows you to watch the program output change over time. By default, the programs run every two seconds. By default, watch runs until interrupted. So if I just do, for instance, just really quick here, watch uh, uptime. Uh, it won't be super interesting, but it'll certainly tell me every two seconds, I'll see that the, the seconds in the uptime counter is incremented, and that's because uptime is continually being run. Now this this takes over your terminal, uh, and it just it shows you the output. There's no perceptible change if there is no, if there's no change. So I'm going to control C out of that 
for instance, and if I do watch ls, I can watch it every two seconds, and unless I go to a different terminal and, and insert a file somewhere that, that it would that it would cause things to, to ripple down or something, I, I'll never see a diff I'll never see the, a difference here. It, it, it just looks like a, a, a static screen. So an unchanging screen, and you can change the increments. It's two seconds by default. You can do dash n dash or dash n uh, ten for ten seconds or whatever. And, and there's there there are quite a few different options for this one. You can you could pipe it through, or you could you could pipe yeah you could pipe its output through to through grep and and just grep for a certain user. For instance, if you're watching a, a folder of a directory of files and you want to see files get updated or 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 increment, for instance. I've used watch in the event when um, I'm maybe copying or DDing a file over somewhere, and I I just want to see I want to see the progress, and so I'll I'll throw watch in as a du dash h or or an ls dash l watch, and and just watch the file increment as it copies. It's kind of a really quick and cheap progress bar, I guess. So that's that's kind of how I've used watch. But I'm sure I mean, and apparently there are things you can, like if you're doing long lists of things, you can do dash uh, dash dash differences, and that highlights differences between successive updates. It's pretty cool. Dash in, of course, dash dash interval. I've already said that. Um, dash dash no title. That make dash dash no dash title. Turns off the header showing the interval and the command that you're running, so you could just have a screen full of the data if you already know what you're doing. And so on. So that's that's a pretty sort of a useful, if not niche, command. It's not something that you're probably going to use every day, but it's something that you might you might invoke here and there. So that's a big package full of really, really useful tools, and I feel like a lot of them, a lot of them either do get taught early on in your intro to Linux, or whatever that might be. You know, if you're if you're reading a book about how what, what's this terminal thing, what do I do? Uh, you might get a quick rundown on some of those things. Others get uh, maybe talked about too often. You know, I, I feel like PS is a little bit. I mean, it's useful, but the PS AUX thing is just not. I don't find it that useful, but it's one of those things that I think I feel like everyone knows for some reason. Um, and then kill and kill all, I, I feel like those get sort of, you know, they have co funny, cool Unix names, and so people talk about them probably more than need to be talked about. I mean, it, it's not that big of a deal. I just feel like they get a lot more screen time or press time than, than they deserve. They're, it's just, okay, it's a kill command. Yay. Um, but, I mean, there's a lot of other useful things that I've talked about and we don't really think about. So that's proc ps-ng, a really great little suite of tools. Now, hopefully, you know how to find processes, kill processes, get updates on processes, resolve processes to names and names to processes, all that good stuff. So, thank you very much for listening. I will talk to you next time. listening to GNU World Order. My name is Klaatu. That is spelled K-L-A-A-T-U. You can reach me by email, klaatu at member.fsf, as in freesoftwarefoundation.org. You can also find me on IRC, on the irc.freenode.net network, as not Klaatu. I'm usually in channels like Slacker Media, and Augcast Planet, or you can direct message me, I have no problem with that. Finally, you can contact me on Mastodon. I'm on mastodon.xyz slash at notclatu.
could just make a decent cup of coffee, I could relax. 